All right, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. The Bible says it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming from up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I, I am well pleased. So just kind of give you a little background. Jesus uh, was 30 years old about this time um, when uh, he went to the Jordan, and he was now beginning his public ministry to the nation of Israel. The first thing we see happening is that Jesus goes to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, let's be, uh, you know, very uh, specific here. He was going to be baptized in water. Now, at that particular time, the baptism of John was for repentance of sins. Now, one of the things that you will know or should know about the Lord is that he had no sin. The Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin for us. From the time that he was born, he was never out of fellowship, never out of relationship with his father because he, his, he was 100% human because he was born of a human mother, but he was 100% divine because he was born of God. And so that being the case, he was never tainted by sin that came from Adam. Right? For as by one man sin came into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. If we, all of us who came from the line of Adam, uh, we have uh, sin in our lives. Whether we say, well, I'm a pretty good person, but in the eyes of God, we're all tainted. We're all marred, right? We all miss the mark. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus did not. But he's going to the to, to, the, to, to John to be baptized, and if you read in another gospel, he said, no, 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 <laughs> you, don't, uh, you don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And then Jesus says, uh, suffer it to be so now uh, that we might fulfill all righteousness. And that word righteousness means to do what is right in the eyes of God. So basically Jesus is saying, um, He's not, he's not uh, acknowledging that he need, has sin. He's acknowledging that I've got to do this because it's my Father's will for me to do this. So he's being baptized in water, but while he was being baptized in water, we find that there was another experience that came upon him. The Bible says uh, John saw a, uh, a, a, a dove descending from the heavens and landing upon him. So Jesus wasn't baptized for the repentance of sins, but he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. That is to fulfill what his father deemed necessary, not only for him, but he is also the prototype. He is the example. He is uh, uh, that which uh, uh, we learn what to do by looking at Jesus. And so he, uh, by being baptized in water and then by being baptized in what we're going to realize there is he being baptized by the Spirit of God, is demonstrating what uh, humanity should do. Right? Okay. Now, for the rest of us who aren't divine, <laughs> that's the whole human race, right? We're marred by sin. So we've got to get saved. We're going to get into that, but let me just tell you, we've, we've got to get saved. When we get saved, we're to be baptized. When we're be, to be baptized, then we too are going to see, have an opportunity to experience this similar thing that Jesus experiences in his life. So let's move on. It's important uh, to know all this, to know where we're going with the rest of this message. Jesus was again born of the Spirit in perfect harmony, relationship with the Godhead. He was without sin, and this was always spiritually 
alive. In Luke 1.35, the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So it wasn't necessary for Jesus to be born of the Spirit because he was born of and in relationship with the Spirit from his birth. Yet the text we read said that the Spirit came upon him when he was baptized. Well, I want to submit to you that this baptizing and resting upon him of the Spirit is what we, when we experience something like that, is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is an empowerment from God. Jesus was a man who was in relationship with the Spirit, but was also baptized by the Spirit. And as a result, he began to walk in the power of the Spirit after he was baptized by the Spirit of God. Not baptized in water, but the Spirit of God came upon him. In his particular case, John saw it in the form of a dove. We're going to see how it's demonstrated in other areas uh, uh, throughout the Scriptures tonight. But in his particular case, it was visible to John in the form of a dove. But what happened after he was baptized in the Spirit is that we will find that Jesus began to do mighty works, mighty miracles, and began to proclaim the gospel that the kingdom of God is at hand. Luke 4, 14 through 19. Did Jesus return after this experience, this meeting happens, after being baptized in water, after the Spirit of God came upon him, he went into the desert, led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. He came out of the desert, and then the Bible says he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went throughout all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read... And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When did the Spirit of God come upon Jesus? When he was baptized in water, and John had a vision, and he saw the Spirit of God descend upon him like a dove. Right? He didn't say, the Spirit of God is in me. He's always had the Spirit of God in him. What he said is, the Spirit of God has come upon me. Well, what was the purpose of that? He's going to tell you here. The Spirit of God is upon me, right, to, uh, because he has anointed me. The word anointed means he's, he's empowered me. He's graced me. Grace means the empowerment of God. He has graced me. He has anointed me to proclaim or to preach the gospel to the poor. So the, the empowerment of the Spirit of God for Jesus, in Jesus' case, gave him the power to proclaim the gospel. But that's not all. He's empowered me or anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. How does he go to heal the brokenhearted? How does he do that? By being anointed and empowered by the Spirit of God. Making sense? He has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. How does he do that? By the empowerment of the Spirit of God. He has anointed me to give recovery of sight to the blind. How does he do that? By the empowerment of the Spirit of God. He has anointed me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. How does he do that? By the empowerment of the Spirit of God to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, which Jesus received, see, led to the power of the Spirit, and, and that moving in the power of the Spirit that he began to demonstrate is a promise that is not just something that was something that, that uh, uh, Jesus did one, once and only. It actually led to a promise for all the followers of Jesus from then to now that they can also be empowered by the Spirit to accomplish that which God is sending us to do. Now, 
that promise became effective after Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. But all of us now who are proclaimed the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can receive the benefit of his death, burial, and resurrection, which is not just salvation. That's important. If that's all you ever get, that's great. That's wonderful. But it's not just for that. Actually, the reason Jesus went to the cross was so that he can get the Spirit of God in you and the Spirit of God on you. Right? We are children of God because of the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. But we are the vessels of God, the instruments of God to accomplish the work of God because of the Spirit of God that comes upon us. We were never meant to do the work that God sent us to do in our own strength. Zechariah says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So when we got saved, God gave us a promise to be empowered by the Spirit so we could go do what he sent us to do. That word sent means to be sent. Uh, it's like a military uh, 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 commission. It's like a military assignment. I am sending you as an ambassador, as envoys to accomplish this, and you're not going to have to do it in your own strength. I'm giving you the power of the government of the kingdom of God. I'm giving you the power of the Spirit to help you to do what I've sent you to do. So before this experience, his disciples were to be first born of the Spirit. So let's go back. Let's go back. Before we received the power of the Spirit, the disciples of Jesus had to be born of the Spirit. Remember I said the Spirit of God in you and the Spirit of God upon you. Why? Because unlike Jesus, as I've already said, we were born out of relationship with God. We were born separated from God spiritually. Our spirits are not, uh, 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 they're, like batter- they're like batteries that are no longer connected to the power source, right? And then when we get saved, it's like God himself, the power source, comes and lives inside of us. But anyway, I'm, I'm going on, uh, getting ahead of myself. John 3, 3 through 6, Jesus answered to Nicodemus, a person who said it came to him at night. And he said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's natural birth, and the spirit, that's spiritual birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The followers of Jesus experienced this spiritual birth immediately after his resurrection. Because the Bible says in John 20, verse 22, when, G- when Jesus had said what it is that he was saying to them, he breathed on them, and then he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, we live in an age where the spirit of God has already been Uh, uh, let's just put it this way, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, the Spirit of God has already been released to, uh, to, to, to be available to those who would receive him. But prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, the Spirit of God was not... Uh, as, as we said here, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God would sporadically come upon people uh, to do the works of God and wouldn't remain upon people, but the prophets prophesied by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God would come upon them and then he would lift. Okay, but in, in, in what we're talking about here, when Jesus breathed on them, he's saying, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit actually comes and indwells those who believe and receive the work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. 
We say it this way. When you get saved, you become born again. Now, what happens when you're born again? The Bible says you become a new creation in Christ. Why are you a new creation in Christ? Because your sins are forgiven, you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and now the Spirit of God, who is a Holy Spirit, has the freedom to live inside of a holy vessel because you've been made holy by the blood of Christ. You see, salvation prepared you to be, again, in right relationship with God. And the Bible says that we are uh, uh, the house of God. We are the temple of God. And the Spirit of God doesn't live in Jerusalem in that temple. The Spirit of God lives in this temple. Now, when I say this, I'm saying us, not me. It does, he does live inside of me, but I'm not just saying just me. I mean us. When you're born again, the Spirit of God takes up residence inside of you. Think about that. God lives in you. Now, you are not God, but God lives in you, and you live in Him. Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. Who lives inside of us? God. I mean, we could camp there. <laughs> Where God lives inside of us. Right? Christ in you, the Lord of glory. Christ in you, the Lord of glory. Now, you is individual, but you is also corporate. Right? The Spirit of God lives inside of me, but the Spirit of God lives inside of us. I as an individual am the house of God, but we as a people are the house of God. And you can't, I'm getting off on a rabbit trail again. You can't, just, you can't just live individually and be the complete picture of the house of God. You can't experience all that God wants to have for you without being a part of the corporate house of God. And there's a very, there's a very uh, unfortunately, uh, a sad uh, uh, understanding. It's a lie that's been fed to many people that I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Right? What you're really saying is I don't have to go to church to go to heaven. But if you want to be a Christian, you want to be a follower of Christ, and you want to be a good follower of Christ, you have to be a part of a body. You will not be complete unless you become plugged in to a corporate body. Well, you know, the problem is not, uh, I don't want to be a part of a body. I don't have to. The reason what they're doing is you're hiding from your own inadequacies and you're hiding from your own failures, right? You don't want to forgive. You're angry. You don't want to get around anybody. Well, every time I get around anybody, something always happens. Well, maybe that's not the problem. It's them. Them. The problem is you. But you're not going to get fixed unless you're around the body. Personal testimony. I'm pastor. I was saved. Baptized in the Holy Spirit, called, empowered, ordained, uh, uh, all of that. Working as a pastor, uh, five, uh, four or five years working as associate, five years in another church uh, working there. Came here seven years, and about seven years into this pastorate, I began to realize it wasn't the people that was the problem, it was me. 
And it was in that seven years of time that the Lord began to do it. And I'm not perfect. I wasn't completely healed, but he began to do a rearrangement. He began to do some healing in my life. But I'd have never received that if I wasn't plugged into a body. Okay, let's get back off this rabbit trail. Let's get back. All right. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with, whom, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So to these same believers, not only the apostles, but what we're going to find is this promise is to all who believe. To these same believers, Jesus tells them to wait for the promise of the Father. Remember the apostles, Jesus came and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And people say, well, that's when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then why did Jesus, when he said, receive the Holy Spirit, say, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my Father? And basically what he was saying, too, and now we're going we're gonna to touch on a little something here, too. If all you needed was to be saved, then why go to Jerusalem and wait for the empowerment of the Spirit of God? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that salvation is not the most important thing until you get saved. But Jesus apparently thought that we needed more than just to be in right relationship with God. We needed to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And he demonstrated that because Jesus was in right relationship with God, but he didn't go and do ministry until he was empowered from on high. You see, I, I was thinking about, because I mentioned something on Sunday, I was thinking about uh, there's got to be a better way of saying what I said, which is I don't understand people. Um, and what I said was, to me, it seems like you go backwards when you go from a spirit-filled church to a non-spirit-filled church. <sighs> I don't know. There's got to be a better way of saying that. And I was talking to somebody today. I said, really, uh, I would kind of look at it this way. It's kind of like if you're in the army and you find out that another army has 50 caliber machine guns, tanks, and, 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 and uh, you know, lasers shooting from the sky, and all your army gives you is water pistols because you've been told that those armaments aren't for today, right? Then to me, I would say, why am I living and trying to fight a battle without the equipment that God provided for me, right? Okay, so that being the case, um, you know, the other, the other thing that I was thinking about when it, when it came to that is not just that, but also the idea that as a spirit-filled Christian, um, you have access to a power that God has made available for us to do not just preaching, but to do the works that Jesus said were necessary to, uh, to demonstrate God's power, God's love, because I believe when we heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils, it's not just so that I can look good, it's so that God's love and God's power can be demonstrated, the gospel becomes visible. And Jesus wants us to make the gospel visible, right? And so I'm not really, I, I, and the other thought I had was, I think that, and I was talking with Bobby about this today, I, I said, I think that if, if 
what have we have been taught, or let's just say what we have experienced in Pentecost, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we talk about getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, and this is the evidence of getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, has been solely an experience, then it makes sense to me why people would think that's not important anymore because I've already had the experience. Right? But it's not about an experience. It's an about equipping. It's an about an empowerment. Right? So if you get issued a weapon, then you can look at the weapon and leave it on the table and say, I've had the experience. But if you realize that your life is supposed to be lived with that weapon at hand, ready, available, not against people, but against the enemy of our souls, then all of a sudden Pentecost or Spirit-filled life or the empowerment of the Spirit becomes something totally different than just an experience. I need to keep my weapons clean. I need to keep my weapons at the ready. I need to be, uh, I need to go to the range, and I'm using metaphors, and practice, and make sure that, that, that I'm, uh, I need, because uh, that weapon is, is necessary for what Jesus asks us to do. Now, I'm not relegating the Holy Spirit to a weapon, but the gifts of the Spirit are empowerments of God. Dynamite power. Dunamis. Right? And so, I guess what I want to clarify is that I don't believe that if you don't have the Spirit of God uh, as far as considering the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the empowerment of God, and I'm not talking about salvation, I'm talking about the empowerment of God. That's our understanding. It's my understanding. I'm not telling you that you're a second-class citizen, and if I came across that way, I apologize because that's not what I meant. What I meant is that in order to effectively live this life, you need the empowerment that God has made available to you. And God has made that empowerment available to every person that would believe. Okay? So let me go forward. All right. So um, to these same believers, Jesus tells them to wait for the promise of the Father, Acts 1, 4 through 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And if you jump down to verse 8, this is the one we quote all the time. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. They've already had the Spirit of God in them. But now he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How do we witness? By preaching and by demonstrating. Isn't that what Jesus did? He preached and he healed. He preached, he cast out demons. He, he, he preached under the anointing of God, and he demonstrated under the power of uh, the anointing of God. And that's what we're called to do. We often think that being witnesses is just uh, letting our light shine. And everywhere I go, I smile at everybody. That's, that's part of it, but it's not all of it. Jesus empowered you to be able to, to boldly proclaim the gospel and to pray for those that are, that are sick, for those that are lame, for those that are blind. And he said, well, I can't heal them. Exactly. That's why the Spirit of God is upon you to do what you cannot do on your own. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. On the day of Pentecost, this promise was poured out upon the disciples. Now, remember, when Jesus had the experience, the Spirit, John saw the Spirit come upon him like a dove. I don't know that anybody else saw it, but John saw it. But on the day of Pentecost, now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit was 
visible. How was that? When the day of Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Not in one accord. They weren't in a car. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. Now listen, I'm not making this up. This is not some Pentecostal hooshy-gooshy stuff. This is in the Bible. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Right? So you're not going to have a problem with the church. You have a problem with Scripture. Because this is what Scripture says happened. Right? And it filled the house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit of God gave them utterance, that word other tongues means languages unknown to them. This promise, what we're going to find, was not, well, that's, that's all good. That was back, in the, in, you know, back on the day of Pentecost. That was the apostles. That was all them. No, what we're going to find is this promise, this experience, is for all who would find themselves as followers of Christ. Acts 2, 38-39, Peter said to them, to the people that he's preaching to, the people of that day, yes, it's the First Testament church, the New Testament church, but let me, let me go on and you'll see where I'm going. He said to all of them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. So what's, what's the, 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 the implication here? Get saved, be baptized, right? So, well, that's all we need to do. No. And you too... That's the implication. Shall receive this gift that you're seeing happen before you, this gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are afar off. That doesn't mean Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It means throughout all generations. As many as the Lord our God will call. Right? How many of y'all were called of God? And you're here today because you heard the call of God. I'm not talking about for, for ministry. I'm talking about you heard the call of God to get saved. And you said, I want to get saved. All right? So I'm going to have to give an altar call for salvation because only three of us are saved today. Praise the Lord. How many of y'all are saved today? Right? You know why? Because you, you were called of God. Right? Yes, it was your free will, but you heard the voice of God when somebody proclaimed the gospel, and you heard the call to come and receive Christ and follow after him, right? So it's not only to them, but it's also to us because we've been called of God. So this experience, what I want to get across to you tonight, was not the exception. It was not just relegated to the first century church. This experience was to be and is to be the normal Christian experience for all who would follow after him. You're saved, you're baptized in water, and what we're going to find is it doesn't have to be in that order. And you're baptized in the Spirit of God. According to what I've taught you tonight, and I want you to go home, study, look in the Bible. Don't just take my word for it. What you'll find, I believe, is that what I'm teaching you is scriptural. Now, you can fall into this understanding that, well, you know, there's cessationism, which says that was only for the New Testament church. That was only for them. God doesn't do that anymore. But I'm here to tell you that I just believe what it says in here, and I think God still does that because I had that experience. Most everybody in this house has had that experience. Yeah. 
Why? Because we're deceived? No, because we believe. It's not deceived, it's believed. I believe the Word of God, and I receive from God, and my life has been noticeably different. Right? So this experience was not the exception, but was the normal one for Christians, all Christians, who would have and should follow after him. Now, that being the case, I just got a couple of people I want to talk about. First of all, I want to talk about who was in that room that got baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, those of y'all that came out of a Catholic background, I, I have no problems with Catholics. I, I think it's a, 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 a you know, wonderful uh, opportunity to, lo- to learn and to grow in God. They're devoted followers of Christ. They have a reverence for Mary. But did you know that Mary was in the upper room? Did you know that Mary received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Oh, how dare you? She did. I'll prove it to you. It's in the Bible. Now, how many of y'all, if you think Mary was a great person, somebody to be emulated, somebody to be followed, and she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how many of y'all think, well, if it's good for Mary, it's probably good for me? Right? All right, let me show you. First of all, in John 2 and 5, one, one thing that Mary said, right, it's, and listen, I'm just going to put it in context as wonderful as Mary was, Mary said, do whatever he says. Because it says in John 2 and 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. All right? So in Acts 1 and 4 then, which we already read, it says, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And then if you would jump down to verse 13, you'll find, who is he talking to? And it says, when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. This is where the experience happened in Acts chapter 2. But who was staying in the upper room? This wasn't like a small little room upstairs. This was a huge hall uh, in a house, okay? And so when they entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. So who was in the upper room? We'll get to here in a minute. Mary was in the upper room, and so was Peter. All right. So in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4, I know we've already read it, but I just want to get you here. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, who? All the ones that I just read to you. They were all with one accord in one place. What place? The upper room. Who was in the upper room? All the names I read you. And Mary, the mother of Jesus. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house, not some of the house, not most of the house. It filled the whole house where they were, they, the implication is where they were all sitting. Then there appeared to them, all of them, divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon them, and they were some, most, everyone except Peter and Mary, right? All filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues. Oh, Mary spoke in other tongues? Yes, Mary spoke in other tongues. What is another tongue? It's a language you do not understand. I can't speak in a language I don't understand. Obviously, of course. Well, how am I supposed to do that? By the power of the Spirit of God that comes upon your life. How am I supposed to heal the sick? Obviously, you can't. Well, how am I supposed to do that? By the power of the Spirit of God that comes upon your life. 
You understand what God is trying to initiate us into is this understanding uh, by faith that God is going to do it, but we have to partner with him. We have to trust him. We have to believe him, right? And they were all filled with the Spirit, began to speak with another language as the Spirit gave them utterance, not as they wanted to, not as they thought, but as the Spirit gave them utterance, okay? So, and, and, and then uh, the second thing we want to look at is Peter. Peter, who is venerated by all Christendom, but in the Roman Catholic Church, he's the first pope, right? Did you know that Peter was baptized with the Holy Spirit? We just read to you that he was in the upper room. I just read to you that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I read to you that Peter got up and he preached to those that were there because they were making fun of all of them who were speaking in tongues. He got up and preached and told them, you need to be saved, repent, and, and, and be baptized in water, and you too will experience this. But I'll just give you one more scripture in Acts chapter 10, verse 45 through 47. Peter was being used to go to a house of a person named Cornelius, and we'll look at that here in a minute. But at the very end of this, I want you to see what he said. So those of the circumcision, that means the Jews who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How did they know they received the gift of the Holy Spirit? For it goes, he said, for it says in verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues. The implication is other tongues, other languages that they don't know how to speak on their own and magnify God. Now, how do you magnify God? In a language you do know how to speak. So what you'll find, people get baptized in the Holy Spirit, they'll praise the Lord in English if you're English, and they'll praise the Lord in a heavenly language. Or they'll praise the Lord in a language they don't know. They'll go back and forth, and that's perfectly acceptable. That's what they were doing here. And then Peter gets up and he says, can anyone forbid water? So they got baptized in the Holy Spirit before they were baptized in water. That's why I'm telling you, you don't have to necessarily do it in that order. And Peter said, can anybody forbid these people to be baptized in water uh, who have received the Holy Spirit? And then he says this, just as we have. In other words, this experience they're having where they're, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they're speaking in other tongues and prophesying and magnifying God, that's the same thing that happened to us. And if you were Peter, it's like, that's, a, that's what happened to me. So Mary was baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other languages, right? And Peter was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the evidence was he spoke in another language, an unknown language. Now, this is what's important here. Let me stop here and say this. It's not about speaking in another language. It's about power. Well, how do I know I've received this power? The sign or the evidence is you will speak in a language that you don't normally speak. Right? It's the sign. It, when you go on a journey, the sign points to the destination. It's not about the sign. You're grateful for the signs. How do I know I'm going in the right direction? How do I know how far i got to go? Because of the sign. But you don't look at the sign and say, oh, the sign. Let's just camp here around the sign. No, the sign points you to your destination. The sign is a speaking a language I don't understand. But the thing that we're shooting for, the thing that we're hoping for, the thing that we're believing for, the thing that we receive is power. Power to do what? To accomplish what Jesus sent us to do. What did he send us to do? Just kind of to exist, hide out in a church, go every so often, 
put a dollar in the plate when it comes by. Is that what he asked us to do? No. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Well, I'm not an apostle. I'm not a preacher. As you go, wherever you go, whether it be the school, whether it be BASF, whether it be uh, the city hall, as you go, make disciples. It's our privilege and our responsibility to reach the lost. What they ever do for me? Well, it's not whatever they did for you. What did those before you do for you? They reached you with the gospel. No, God did that. Well, guess how God did that? Through somebody that was willing to go. And God's desire is that as he came and reached those who were lost, healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, as others came and reached us, then we would grab a vision for the love of God and in love, out of love, go and reach others who are lost. Amen? How are we going to do that? I don't have the capacity to do that. By the empowerment of the Spirit of God. All right? Now, Paul, the great apostle Paul, was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, you need to know this about Paul. Paul was not always a nice guy. In fact, uh, Paul was such a devout follower of Judaism that when he saw Christians proclaiming a Messiah, which they all believed the Messiah was coming, but they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and their lives were being changed, and they were devoted to Jesus as the Messiah. Paul said, this is a variant. This is a cult. This is a sect that needs to be eliminated. And in devotion to God, he set out to eliminate it, and the way he did it was by imprisoning people, torturing people, killing them. Paul? Yes, Paul. Right? But God saw something in Paul. And by his mercy and by his grace, he, he presented himself to Paul. And this same Paul was changed. Acts 9 and 6, when the, he was going to Damascus to put other Christians in prison in that city. And on that journey, I didn't put this in there, a great light appeared to him. And then and when the light appeared, it so, it so shocked, so stunned him, he fell off his horse, and he ended up becoming blind for a little while. And, uh, and uh, the Lord said, Paul, Paul, why are you uh, uh, persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? You know, he said, I'm Jesus Christ. And so in verse 6, he says, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And then after a little while, God sent another man by the name of Ananias to pray for Paul. Ananias, being a wise old man, he said, nope, I ain't doing that. I don't want to die, right? <laughs> I just retired from BASF. <laughs> I got a nice little package. I want to go to Hawaii. You know, I want to go down there. I want, I want to go on a cruise. I don't want to die. And God said, you go do what I tell you to do. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, he sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that account pretty much ends there. You say, well, wait a minute. How, how, how did he get the baptism? What happened when he got the baptism? Well, it doesn't really say. But in another place, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 18, I thank my God that I speak in tongues with another language by heavenly language more than you all. So he, when did he get that experience? Well, you can infer that he got it when Ananias laid his hands on him. He'd already been saved because he recognized Jesus as Lord, and now he is being empowered by the Spirit. And by the way, when Ananias laid his hands on him, he also received his sight back. He was healed, right? 
So Paul received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I would surmise that he received it at that particular time, and the evidence was the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, of that baptism was he spoke in another language that he didn't know. So, and, and so this is all biblical. Then you might say to yourself, well, I can't do that. Every one of these people couldn't do that. Well, how did it happen? Because they believed. And the Lord was faithful to his word. Right? Now, I'll tell you my experience in a minute. So in verse, uh, the fourth point we want to look at is the Samaritans. So now we're moving out from just the Jews. We're moving out to the Samaritans, who the Jews considered to be half-breeds. They weren't fully Jewish. They weren't Gentile, but they weren't fully Jewish. Yeah, no bueno. So what happened? Some, uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Philip had to leave Jerusalem if he wanted to live because great persecution broke out and they were killing everybody. Philip says, no, I'm going down. He went down to Samaria and Philip didn't know any better. He preached the gospel. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, I got hired at, you know, at this job over here. What do I do? I'm going to preach the gospel. So what he did. Wherever he went, he preached the gospel. He's in Samaria, he preached the gospel. What happened when he preached the gospel? The multitudes with one accord heeded the things that spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame, and the lame were healed and there was great joy. Hey, not in the household. There was great joy in the city. How was Philip doing these things? I didn't make a case for it, but I could go back and show you that he was one of the disciples who had been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Spirit is how he was doing that. So it didn't say anything other than they were getting saved and they were getting healed. Wonderful. Now, news goes back to Jerusalem of what's happening in Samaria. What do the apostles do? Acts 8, 14 through 17. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, these guys. You know, who do they think? We got, man, God's moving. Signs and wonders are happening. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. And this church in Jerusalem, they just want to leave us alone. No, they know. They walked with Jesus. They know Jesus' heart. They know what Jesus wanted. They knew that without the baptism in the Holy Spirit, all that they had was great, but they weren't fully equipped. And so they sent two apostles down there to go make sure that they would receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had fallen upon none of them. Great. So it's like word gets back. They're getting saved. They're getting healed. But in their mind, have they been filled with the Spirit? Yeah, it's great they're getting saved. It's great they're getting healed. But they haven't been filled with the Spirit. We need to make sure if they're going to have a chance to fulfill all that God has called them to do and to live the life that God's wanting to live, they've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so they, 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 they dispatched two disciples to go down there. And the Bible says when they went down there, Peter and John, they laid hands on them. Who? Those that were saved, healed, and they received the Holy Spirit. What happened when they received the Holy Spirit? It doesn't say. But based on what we've read, would it be too far-fetched to say, because these were the same people that had seen it happen in Jerusalem, seen it happen at Cornelius' house, that they, they were, they, that would it be too far-fetched to say that when they laid hands on them, how did they know receive the Holy Spirit? Because they saw them do what everybody else had done. They began to speak in another language. So Cornelius was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I already told you a little bit about it. I'll just give you a little glimpse here, Acts 10, 3 through 5. This is full Gentile. 
you move from Jews to half-breed Jews to full Gentiles, right? Now, I'm not saying this is a correct understanding, this, but this is just the way it was. How many of you know that how things should be and how things are aren't always the same? This is the way they understood. Gentiles, no. Those are, no. Now, Jews and Gentiles, no. If Jews and half-Jews half were bad, this is like taboo. Totally. You don't do this. Right? But God set it up where he sent Peter down there to preach to them. And when he preached to them, what we're going to find is that they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't want to go. God gave him a vision. He told Cornelius. Cornelius was in a, a Gentile Roman centurion who, who, who had a heart for God, but he wasn't willing to go through all the stuff that needed to happen to become a Jew. But he had a heart for God. And he and lived to, to the best that he could, live for God. Well, the Bible says that, that God heard his, his prayers and, and saw his giving. That's a good, that's a good, pre you want to preach on giving. God saw his giving and said, hey, man, I see your heart because of what you're doing. And he said, Cornelius, send for Peter. And God set it up. Well, he sent two of his uh, emissaries to go get Peter, two of his soldiers to go get Peter. Peter's on the rooftop and he's hungry and he has a vision. And this vision, he sees a sheet uh, come down. It's filled with all kinds of animals. And God says to Peter, kill and eat. The problem is what you don't realize is that Jews weren't allowed to eat certain kind of foods. Some of us are familiar. They don't eat bacon. Why? Because it's pork, right? So uh, pork is just one of many animals that were considered unclean. All the animals that came down on the sheet were unclean. He said, no, Lord, I can't do that. I've never eaten anything unclean. And the, Holy, the, the Lord said to him, what I have called clean, you don't call unclean. Happened to him three times, right? Now, right about then, guess how many people show up at the door? Three. And these are Gentiles who the Jews considered to be unclean. Peter's putting two and two together. Uh, he, he says something they would never do. Go ahead and invite him in the house. <gasps> And then he went with them. <gasps> and then when he got there, he went into their house. <gasps> da, 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 da. Right? So then we get to Acts 10, 44 through 47. Peter begins to preach the gospel to them. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. How do we know that? Because those of the circumcision, that is the Jews, who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How do we know that? For they heard them speak with tongues, unknown tongues to them, and magnify God. It doesn't say and or, it says and. Some people will say, well, they do one or the other. No, it says they did both. They spoke with unknown tongues, and they magnified the Lord, right? So, last one we're going to look at is the Ephesians, the Ephesians church. Super, super bad Gentiles. You have Gentiles, and you have the worst Gentiles. <laughs> That's what the Ephesians were, 
Okay, so the Ephesians were baptized in the Holy Spirit, Acts 18, 24 through 25. A certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. What is the baptism of John? Baptism of repentance. We would call that salvation, correct? Okay, so then in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, Paul shows up after Apollos had gone, preached and gone. When Paul shows up, it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. That's where, that's where Apollos had preached these. And finding some disciples, he said to them, now notice the first thing he says, did you get saved? No. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They were already disciples, they were already saved, but the first question he asked them, because the apostles considered this to be fundamental to Christianity. Not an extra thing or a fanatical thing, fundamental, elemental to being a Christian, that you receive the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I hope I'm coming across that, 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 that this is what the Bible teaches. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? What did they say? We hadn't even heard. There is a Holy Spirit. Some of y'all may be here tonight and say, how do you expect me to do this? I never even heard there's a Holy Spirit. What makes you any different from them? Right? They didn't even hear. So what happened? Uh, uh, he said to them, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, for sure, saying to the people, you should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. How do you know? Because it says they spoke with other tongues and they prophesied. That word prophesy can mean they magnified God. Now, the men were about 12 in all. So, the question remains, Peter was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Mary was baptized in the Holy Spirit. All the apostles were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The first century church was baptized in the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. The Samaritans were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The, uh, uh, the, the Cornelius household, the Gentiles were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the worst Gentiles were baptized in the Holy Spirit. How many of us could fall in one of those categories? Right? So the question remains, what about us? Well, the Bible teaches that you and I are to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'll go back to that one text where Peter said, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Now you might say, well, I haven't been baptized in water. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, we already showed you that, that if you can, that's a protocol, but you can also receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then get baptized in water. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? So the end all is not to be saved. The end all is not to be baptized in water. The end all is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's all three. Save, baptize in water, baptize in the Holy Spirit. You've got to be saved. But then you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in water, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. The goal is this is what Jesus wants us to do. For the promise is to you, your children, and to all who are far off, as many 
as the Lord our God would call. If you're here tonight and you've accepted Christ, you've been called of God. If you haven't, Jesus wants to call you. He's calling you today, and you can receive him today, and you can follow after him. But if you have, what I want you to realize and what I want you to recognize is that salvation is the preparation to receive the Holy Spirit in us, but Jesus didn't want us to leave until the Holy Spirit came upon us so that we could do fully equipped, fully empowered that which he sent us to do.